For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. Lord, may the wisdom of your word compel our hearts. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. It is not that we have a short space of time, but that we waste much of it. The Roman Stoic philosopher Seneca once wrote these words in his essay on the shortness of life. Seneca believed that we spend much of our lives in pointless pursuits because we fail to grasp the value of our time. Time is fleeting and therefore so precious. And yet, who could deny the reproach of the contemporary lyric, you fritter and waste the hours in an offhand way? We hear the truth of this confirmed by so many sources and in so many places, it begs a troubling question. Why do we not value our time more? A child perceives the life ahead and asks, what a vast, seemingly interminable expanse. What shall I do with this time? Here's a thought. I will fill my life with activity. Show me the cause. It doesn't matter what it is. I will do it. I will spend my time immersed in so much random activity there will be scarcely time to eat or sleep. The gift of time is fleeting, but surely if I do this, nothing will be wasted. Alternatively, maybe I should withdraw and enjoy the days I've been given. Let me not take any hasty action. Let me not spin my wheels needlessly or waste my effort. After all, I need my downtime. Let me do nothing. Obviously, there is more than one possible response to this question, but most all seem to share a common thread. They lack reflection. There is no assessment of who we think we are who we really are, what we believe, and what matters to us, and what matters to God. There is, no, there is an absence of thought informed by faith. These responses also lead to the same destination, regret. As an intern, I remember seeing a poster on the wall of a pediatric ward that was directed toward young doctors in training. The image was of a person dressed in scrubs with his head bowed in thought. For some reason, the slogan at the bottom stuck with me all these years. Don't just do something, stand there and think. Some advice is so simple 
and true that its wisdom needs no explanation and it cannot be denied. Think first and pray first. In the 24th and 25th chapters of Matthew, Jesus turns his teaching toward what he calls the return of the Son of Man. This is a sort of eschatological handbook to help navigate the end of all history. It is full of parables and cautionary tales regarding pitfalls for the whole church and for the individual alike to be considered carefully while the moment of the master's return or what Christian scholars call the parousia approaches. In this, we find admonitions to remain vigilant since we do not know the day or the hour of Christ's return or even of our own <clears throat> lives. On the other hand, we are counseled not to spend our lives waiting for this return or running out the clock in idle expectation of the second coming, banking on the false belief that we're playing it safe. Throughout the Gospels, we are taught that the kingdom of heaven is not just a landscape to imagine on some distant horizon that we'll someday visit, but it's a real place that surrounds us all who decide to follow Christ. Through it, we can see that need is a real thing which also engulfs us, and with it, we engage that need as best we can, wielding the gifts that we have all been given. There is a sense of urgency in the Gospel of Matthew, and if you are listening, there is a call for all hands on deck. We are reminded that we have all been given valuable gifts, which we could not have wrought on our own and cannot replace once they're gone. Our time, our mental acuity, our physical abilities, and our talents. In a single word, our lives. In the parable of the slaves and the talents, we see a master who is preparing to make a journey into a far country. A master who we might think of as Jesus in the final days of his earthly existence presiding over three slaves. Each of the slaves, as different as they might seem, probably could resemble each of us at different moments in our lives. True to life, this story tells us that not everyone was equally endowed. One slave was given five talents. One was given two talents, and one received just one talent. But all were trusted to manage these resources to the best of their abilities. It was a fun fact. A talent was a monetary unit in the ancient world, which in Jesus' time would have been worth about 6,000 denarii. One denarius was a typical day's wage of a laborer or an ordinary Roman soldier. So, a talent was the price of 6,000 days of hard work. 
Even the slave with the smallest gift was expected to be a good steward over a vast sum of money. The first two slaves trusted their master and expected his return. They represented his estate and pursued his best interests with industry. They managed to double the number of talents they held through their diligent efforts. We might think of these two individuals as the faithful in the church. A third slave did not really seek to advance the best interests of his master. He was clearly less motivated compared with his peers. Why? Was he lazy? Maybe he believed that hiding the talent he was given was the safe path. Safety first, right? Perhaps he didn't think his master was going to return. Did envy of the other slave's lot fill him with resentment? Maybe he perceived that his own best interests were different from those of his master, and he deserved a higher priority. In the parable, the slave's account of himself suggests that he allowed fear to guide his decisions because he didn't trust in the fairness of his master's character or his master's promises. In any case, he decided to hide away the talent that was given to him rather than put it to use. He did not perceive a need to which he could respond. He heard no call that he would answer. We might think of this individual as lacking faith, blind to the needs that are always present or not perceiving the value of his service to a master who he did not fully trust to provide in the face of that need. For all that time of his master's absence, the resources with which he had been trusted lay buried in a dark place deep in the earth. It was not so much that the resources offered were inadequate. The problem was that the resources given, which included his time, were squandered through a lack of faith rather than harnessed by a servant who understood their purpose and their value. The punishment rendered might seem harsh, but it represents a familiar theme in the depiction of decay that follows an absence of faith. Spiritual darkness and regret. After all, there were two slaves whose faith made them trustworthy and their success was celebrated as they were invited to enter into the joy of a master who was also trustworthy. By the way, there was no difference in the reward the slave who was given five talents received and the reward the slave who was given two talents received. Did you notice that? Perhaps this is because for all of us, what matters is not how much we are given, but what we decide to do with what we are given. It's not that we have a short space of time but we waste much of it. 